All right, we're reading from Genesis chapter 41. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile when out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up the came up, up out of the river Nile and stood beside those on the river bank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy, full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position and the other man was impaled. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph and he was quickly brought out from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, In my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile, when out of the river there came up seven cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I'd never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. The lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows that came up first. But even after they ate them, no one could tell what they'd done. They looked just as ugly as before. Then I woke up. In my dream, I saw seven heads of grain, full and good, growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads sprouted, withered and thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven good heads. I told this to the magicians, but none of them could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterwards are seven years. And so are the seven worthless heads of grain, scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon.
And now, let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land and take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in the reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all the people to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command and people shouted before him, Make way! Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name of Zaphonath-Paneah and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old, when he entered the service of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and travelled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain, like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he'd stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all of my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands, but the whole land of Egypt, there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. Well, uh, thank you, Sally. That was a bit of a marathon. Well done. (laughs) Good morning, everyone. My name's Ian. I've been worshipping here at uh, Trinity Church only from its beginning, just three years ago now in 2018. Um, I retired in 2013, and since then I've been working part-time on a Master of Divinity degree here at the Bible College and just a few months ago, I finally managed to finish it. So Carl's asked me to put my studies into use here at TCU, 
including preaching the sermons today and next week. I actually found it fascinating looking at the story of Joseph, and I hope I'll be able to share something of that excitement with you. But would you join me in prayer? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Do you have a dream? I think most of us do, even if we can't remember the details. I'm often aware that I've been dreaming, but usually can't recall what the dreams were about. Sometimes, though, I do. Back when I was at school and university, I regularly had a dream before exams. Always the same. I was in the examination room and looked at the exam paper and realized I'd been studying for the wrong subject and I couldn't answer any of the questions. It didn't take a psychologist to work out that the dreams were generated by a natural anxiety. And thankfully, in my case, those dreams weren't prophetic. Except maybe for some of the theology exams here at DCSA when the lecturer decided to get a bit creative. Anyway, I managed to do okay. (laughs) So, in our passage today, we heard about some dreams that were prophetic. It's an amazing story with lots of ideas to consider. Not just the prophetic dreams, but a man of faith who, by God's help, can interpret them. There's an unheard rise to power and the use of that power to save many nations from famine. Let's just take a look at the story. The story of Joseph is pretty well known, and many of us will have heard it at Sunday school. And even if you're not familiar with the Bible, you may well have heard of Andrew Lloyd Webber's first musical, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. One of the songs in there is Any Dream Will Do, which is about the point in the, in the story that we heard about today. It's clear that Joseph is an important character in the Bible. There's no doubt the writer of Genesis saw Joseph's story as important. He gets 13 out of 50 chapters of Genesis, which is the first book in the Bible. In his recent sermons, Jack's led us through the early stages of Joseph's life. We've seen how he's God's chosen leader, but has been rejected. Let's recap and move a bit further on. Because this chapter isn't the first mention of dreams. As a 17-year-old, Joseph made a nuisance of himself to his family, and particularly his elder brothers, by announcing that he'd had dreams that prophesied that he would rule over the rest of the family. The brothers weren't keen on this, and so they sold him into slavery in Egypt and told their father Jacob that he'd been killed. In Egypt, he did well for himself as the slave of a wealthy leader, Potiphar. He was so competent that Potiphar made him manager of his household. Unfortunately, he was also so good-looking that Potiphar's wife took a fancy to him, and when he rejected her advances, she falsely accused him of rape. So Potiphar had him thrown into jail. And she didn't do too badly there either, because the jailer also recognized his ability and put him in charge of the jail, which doesn't often happen in today's prison system. In chapter 40, which leads up to today's reading, we read of some more dreams. Pharaoh is the ruler of Egypt. Two of his most important officials, the baker and the butler, clearly food was important in Egypt, they upset him somehow, were not told what they did, and were imprisoned. These were important people, so were treated well in the prison. Joseph was appointed to take care of them. And then one night, each of them had a dream. The dreams must have been out of the ordinary because they both felt they needed interpreting and worried that no one could do it. Joseph stepped in. Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me. And indeed, with God's guidance, he was able to tell them the meaning of the dreams. And only three days later, 
on Pharaoh's birthday, it seems, his interpretations were fulfilled. The butler was restored to his position, but the baker was executed. The butler promised to tell Pharaoh of Joseph's plight, but promptly forgot all about it. Two years after this, we reach the events of today's reading. You can imagine that Joseph is pretty disappointed at this stage. God's chosen leader is now 30 years old, so he spent the last 13 years as a slave or prisoner with no hope of return to his family. Two years ago, he had the promise of a good word to the Pharaoh, but day after day has passed with no result. Yet, it seems that Joseph has remained faithful to his God. He would have learned about God from his father Jacob, and he's taken the teaching to heart. Despite all that has happened, he hasn't given up. Perhaps he remembers the dreams of his youth and trusts God to fulfill them. Remember that when he interpreted the prisoner's dreams, he gave God the credit. Do not interpretations belong to God? Two years have passed. Pharaoh's birthday again. And this time, Pharaoh is the one with the dreams, and he is not a happy man. If you've got your Bibles handy, please would you open to Genesis 41. In the start of the chapter, verses 1 to 7, Pharaoh Pharaoh dreams he's standing by the Nile. Maybe a bit like um, Barry or Bazar in the uh, children's talk. He's looking out. The Nile was a source of fertility in Egypt. If there were good rains further south and the river was flowing strongly, the crops would be good and everyone would be well fed. If the Nile's flow was weak, there would be the chance of famine and starvation. So the location of the dream wasn't an incidental issue. You can picture Pharaoh looking out on the Nile in his dream with a mixture of hope and fear. When he sees the fat cows consumed by the thin, ugly ones and the plump ears of grain swallowed up by the thin, blighted ones, he may have some idea of what this means. Maybe when he woke after the first dream, he thinks his anxiety dream about the cows was nothing to really worry about. He wakes from it with a sense of relief. But then it comes again in the form of ears of grain. Sounds like a dream, doesn't it? A totally unreal image, grains eating each other up, but seeming natural in the context of the dream. That's, that's what my dreams are like anyway. So we read in verse 8, he finally wakes up, and we can imagine him shuddering as he starts to think about the dreams. Were they significant? Did they mean what he thought? Let's call in the experts. So he calls all the scientists and psychologists, uh, sorry, the wise men and the magicians, and he sets them to working out what the dreams really meant. But there were none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Well, it says none who could, but I really wonder if it was none who would. As I said, it wouldn't be too hard to work out the significance of plenty and famine coming out of the Nile. But we know and they know that Pharaoh has a prison ready for those who displease him. Perhaps the wise men and magicians are just too sensible to tell Pharaoh what they really think. If he's avoiding the issue, who are they to try and force it on him? But fortunately, as we read on in verses 9 to 16, there is someone around with the necessary courage to recognize the problem that's facing them. The butler finally remembers his promise to Joseph, two years late, but maybe at just the right time for Pharaoh and for Joseph. He tells Pharaoh about the young Hebrew prisoner who correctly interpreted his dream and suggests that he be called. Pharaoh calls for him. Joseph wisely takes the time to shave and dress appropriately, and he's brought before Pharaoh. Now, I don't know about you, but if I think if I was Joseph, I'd be a bit on edge at this point. 
I imagine he's been told the situation. The wise men and magicians have failed or refused to interpret the dreams. And he knows very well that Pharaoh has the power of life and death. And of course, he also has the power to set Joseph free, as he's been hoping for the past two years. Which way to go? Well, it seems probably like, unlike me in that same situation, Joseph is unconcerned about speaking truth to power. He has the confidence of faith. In verses 15 and 16, we read that Pharaoh, in effect, challenges Joseph to interpret his dreams. And Joseph calmly replies, it is not in me. God will answer Pharaoh, giving him peace. Probably not how Pharaoh would expect him to respond. It seems that Joseph can tell that Pharaoh is under stress and needs peace, the peace that only God can give. By the way, that's not quite how the NIV translates Joseph's words, but the word in Hebrew is shalom, a deep abiding peace, and I think giving him peace reflects Pharaoh's situation. Anyway, Pharaoh is impressed. The prospect of shalom is appealing. In verses 17 and 24, he tells his dreams again, adding a few extra details, and Joseph gives him the interpretation he's looking for with a key point in verse 25. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. And in case Pharaoh misses the point, or we do, he repeats it in verse 28 and confirms in verse 32. The thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. It seems that Pharaoh's anxiety dreams were indeed prophetic. There are to be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine so severe that the years of plenty will be forgotten. Joseph's answer is clear. God has the plans, God has the power. It is God who has revealed the future to Pharaoh. And in verses 33 to 36, Joseph goes further, describing how the famine can be alleviated and providing a job description for the one who can lead it, which, as it happens, fits Joseph to a T. And Pharaoh clearly knows it. He appoints Joseph to wield the authority necessary to deal with the impending crisis. Now you might think the important thing would be that Pharaoh recognizes God, described in verses 38 to 39, but that's not actually the focus of the passage. God's will for Joseph is not just for him to tell Pharaoh about God. Joseph is to act, to demonstrate God's goodness and to bring salvation to the people of Egypt and to his own family too. And by saving the family of Jacob and particularly Judah, the ancestor of Jesus, Joseph ultimately brought salvation for the whole world. So he sets to work, described in detail in verses 40 to 49, collecting up and storing grain in great abundance. The wrap-up of the story is summarized in verses 53 to 57, very quickly compared to the years of plenty. Joseph sells food to all of Egypt and all the earth. We can perhaps see in this the beginning of the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham back in Genesis 12 to be a blessing to all nations and a foreshadowing of the gospel being taken to all nations since Jesus' time. And that's where we'll leave the story of Joseph for today. So much is happening in this chapter, we've only been able to skim the surface. Well, what can we learn from the story of Joseph? Not that our dreams are prophetic. Certainly mine aren't. It's like the one where I was driving a double-decker bus with the controls on the top level. And somehow I managed to get out of the car park despite the fact the door was too low. That's never come true. Well, not yet, anyway. Yet, some dreams have been prophetic, as we see here and elsewhere in the Bible. Even today, we hear stories of Muslims experiencing dreams and visions of Jesus, so we can't completely discount them. 
But in the main, in my experience for sure, they're just our minds processing the day's events, though often in a very strange way. But we surely can learn from Joseph's faith and courage. We've all been experiencing some degree of isolation as a result of COVID. We seem to be approaching a time when things will open up, but it's unclear whether that will lead to more or less isolation. Maybe we feel at times cut off from God and not sure where we're going. But Joseph was much more alone. He'd been torn away from his family, treated as a slave, falsely condemned to prison and forgotten when he hoped for release. Yet he kept his faith in God strong. Remember that there wasn't any sort of religious community at that time, nor any scriptures to read. If indeed Moses wrote Genesis, that was at least 200 years in the future. And of course, Joseph was still living the events of Genesis. He only had Jacob and his family, and they were far away in Canaan. So Joseph had to rely entirely on his individual relationship with God. He was completely alone without any other person who could guide him in following God. And yet, even standing before the almighty Pharaoh, he acknowledged his reliance on God. A challenge to us. We shouldn't be afraid to acknowledge God's work in our lives. Joseph used his abilities in serving God and others. We all have different abilities and interests. We have different areas of study or of work. But in all of them, we are called to love God and our neighbor. The story of Red made it sound easy. Just collect the grain together and then send it out. But it would have been a major project. Can you imagine going around, as Joseph did, during times of plenty when everyone was wanting to be out partying and collecting 20% of all the produce to store away? A lot of people were told it was rubbish. Look, we've had no problems with the harvest for the past three, four, five, six years. Surely this will continue. Sometimes people will tell us that everything's okay, so they don't need God. Sometimes we'll have hard jobs to do for the benefit of other people and won't be sure of the end result. Sometimes we'll feel alone and abandoned. Joseph's story encouraged us to carry on. Of course, we can't assume all will work out well as it did for him. There are other stories where it didn't. But we have a powerful God. A God who promises that all is under his control. And perhaps that's the most important message we can learn from this story of dreams. God has everything under his control. In these times when the news is full of warfare and disease, when we worry about the next COVID outbreak and fear another lockdown, isn't that a relief? God has everything under his control. Like Joseph, we can have the confidence of faith of a God who is in control. There are other dreams and visions recorded in the Bible that carry the same message. There's one over a thousand years later when another Joseph had a dream and took Jesus and Mary to safety in Egypt. You'll find that in Matthew chapter 2. Others, other dreams and visions have complex imagery. We jump from the first book of the Bible to the last one. That brings us to John's visions recounted in the book of Revelation. The images there can seem even more confusing than my dream about the double-decker bus. But while there is controversy over that exact meaning, one thing is clear. John wants us to know that we can feel confident that God is in control of history and he will see to its resolution. In Revelation 21, we read how John sums it up. The words are on the screen, yep. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. There'll be no more sadness, no more sickness or pain. There'll be no more death. Just as Joseph and Pharaoh saw the mysterious images in their dreams turn into reality, we shall no longer see only puzzling dreams. 
we shall see Jesus face to face. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you that when we see our own problems and challenges, when we feel alone and helpless, we can hear the encouraging words in the story of Joseph. We can be strengthened to trust and to persevere. Thank you for the message that you are a present God who saves and renews. We look forward to that day when all mysteries will be revealed. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.